call this meeting of the Disaster Council to order, please, if everyone could find a seat. Thank you all for being here, and on fairly late notice, we just gave 72 hours notice uh, for you to be here after this weekend's quake. We thought it was important to uh, have a disaster council meeting today. I'm going to turn this over to Mayor Lee for opening remarks. Good afternoon, everyone, uh, and again, thank you to members of our disaster council for assembling yourselves here and uh, getting an update. Before we begin, um, let me... Uh, ask if we can take a little moment of silence. You know, there there are big disasters and then there are uh, uh, small tragedies, and we had to experience one uh, today with uh, a unfortunate fatality of one of our city employees. Uh, I just uh, wanted to spend a minute recognizing uh, this uh, person's contribution. Uh, obviously, they were out in the area of the city helping to pick up illegal dumping and there's a tragic uh, uh, accident uh, in which one of our employees uh, 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 became a fatality. Uh, so if we can just have a little moment of silence for uh, our employee uh, and, and uh, kind of a, a recognition of uh, his life and contribution to our city. this meeting of the Disaster Council to order, please, if everyone could find a seat. Thank you all for being here, and on fairly late notice, we just gave 72 hours notice uh, for you to be here after this weekend's quake. We thought it was important to uh, have a Disaster Council meeting today. I'm going to turn this over to Mayor Lee for opening remarks. Good afternoon, everyone, uh, and again, thank you to members of our Disaster Council for assembling yourselves here and uh, getting an update. Before we begin, um, let me... Uh, ask if we can take a little moment of silence. You know, there there are big disasters and then there are uh, uh, small tragedies, and we had to experience one uh, today with uh, a unfortunate fatality of one of our city employees. Uh, I just uh, wanted to spend a minute recognizing uh, this uh, person's contribution. Uh, obviously, they were out in the uh, area of the city helping to pick up illegal dumping and there's a tragic uh, uh, accident uh, in which one of our employees uh, uh, became a fatality. Uh, so if we can just have a little moment of silence for uh, our employee uh, and, and uh, kind of a, a recognition of uh, his life and contribution to our city. Thank you. Uh, Wow, what a week. Uh, and I want to say, first of all, uh, uh, I uh, 
want to thank uh, DEM and all of the different departments, different agencies, and the people who come together uh, for so many years to train ourselves to uh, respond at the highest level uh, that uh, this earthquake that uh, became uh, very apparent to us in Napa and Vallejo and Sonoma uh, did not have uh, any serious impacts, uh, at least immediately, uh, to the city of San Francisco. But I think we remain vigilant here, uh, and many of our engineers uh, from PUC, from DPW, and, other, and Port and other jurisdictions are doing deep dives into our assets to make sure. And, uh, of course, every water main break or anything that we hear, we're trying to see whether or not there are links uh, to uh, perhaps the shaking, the rolling that may have occurred uh, with this uh, earthquake that, that occurred last weekend uh, on Sunday. Uh, I just want to say thank you to everybody, though, because I think from uh, all uh, reports and accounts, uh, people made themselves available. Uh, it's 3 a.m., uh, 3.30 a.m. On a, on a Sunday morning. I think uh, people were checking in uh, with each other as appropriate. Uh, we uh, were proactive in uh, making sure that uh, given, given the uh, early hours in the morning that people wanted to make sure that they checked in and were actively involved in uh, uh, looking at not only the assets but if there's any danger and signs. And I also think that uh, people were cognizant, and I think we're learning. It's not just the first shake, it's the aftershocks. That could be just as dangerous. And even this week, uh, we're obviously crossing our fingers, but we're alert rather than afraid of aftershocks. And I want to, again, appreciate everyone's uh, effort here uh, to continue being alert and vigilant. Uh, and it just makes all of our training and all of the information and all of the self-education we're doing, not only for our families as city employees, but as, as uh, residents and citizens of San Francisco, I'm very proud uh, that everybody's paying high level of attention. Uh, obviously, that means uh, everything that we're doing becomes that much more important and highlighted. And whether it's soft story buildings, whether it's schools, public or private, uh, whether it's our assets uh, inspection, or whether it's practicing tabletop drills, uh, whether it's working uh, with neighborhood empowerment to train our residents to be that much more active, uh, whether it's taking yet another look on issues like portable water, uh, things of that nature, I think we're all more heightened. And this just shows us, and I think the seismologist professionals are telling us that that was not the big one, uh, that we do have to continue being uh, very, very prepared. So. Uh, it's not just police and fire and DEM. It's every single agency that is working together with our private partners, whether it's BOMA, uh, whether it's uh, our friends at uh, uh, Red Cross, uh, or the neighborhood groups that have formed just to communicate uh, with each other, or our religious community to check in with all of us, check in with the different agencies, ask for help, ask for preparation. Uh, clearly, whether it's our business community, uh, big and small, established and new, uh, that they all have to be as educated as we want them to be. And that is why it's so important, and I'm constantly reminded by Anne, she put together a beautiful, very informative uh, SF72.org uh, put together here. If you go through this, you can't really miss anything that we're trying to train everybody to do. 
we are an earthquake country. We are uh, uh, always uh, have to be prepared and alert. But also, when you go through this, I think the fear of uh, being a victim of earthquake is lessened and that we can manage our preparation even better. And that's why it's so important to keep reminding everybody, and not only our own city, that the, our, our sister and brother districts, whether it's the school district, whether it's city college, whether it's the university campuses, uh, they all have to do their part as well. Um, the Lifelines Council uh, that I'm constantly reminded to, it's so important that we get all of our utilities conversing with each other about their emergency responses is very important. Having said that, uh, as you may have heard, uh, we uh, did a uh, immediate visit uh, up to Napa to look at the damage and to understand it a little more clearly, uh, to also register not just uh, from the disaster preparedness angle, but also from our, of course, our San Francisco human angle, which is to register our willingness to support them. And SF gives back. Uh, uh, through the good work of Daniel Holmesy and uh, others in this room, uh, including the Red Cross and, and the Interfaith Council, I think we're all going to register our willingness to help and support them on their recovery, both uh, for uh, Napa as well as for Vallejo and parts of Sonoma. And we want to make sure that's on the front and center as we ask our corporations and our uh, citizens to assist any way they can. Uh, they'll need help. And you're going to see some tragic stories that will continue to uh, be on the front pages of uh, news reports. And it is, uh, I think it was very serious. A lot of homes got destroyed, mobile homes as well as uh, uh, regular homes. A lot of brick buildings got destroyed and lessons learned of what we're doing here, but also uh, folks that uh, didn't think that they might be uh, this quickly a victim of the earthquake are now victims of it and we need to help them out. Uh, be the best neighbors that we can. And uh, I think we have a lot of city employees as well as friends that live in Vallejo and Napa as well. And I want to remind everybody how important they are to our local regional economy. Uh, every convention package we put together uh, will emphasize visits to Napa and that region and that they're part of our economy as well. And we want them up and running. So. Uh, if you've got extra hours, you want to get out of the city, go to Napa, go to Vallejo. You know, spend a few extra dollars. That's what I'm going to try to do as well. Uh, I also want to say, uh, again, thank you to Anne and her staff because uh, of the mutual aid agreements that we have. Uh, now the agreements are uh, activated. Uh, we are uh, and have received mutual aid requests uh, through the California Office of Emergency Services, and we're responding to that. The city of Vallejo has... Uh, asked us for at least three city employees uh, focused on uh, a financial as well as some engineers. So uh, we are as assisting them with sending those uh, three individuals out immediately. And the city of Napa has asked for building inspectors. And of course, uh, Tom Hewitt and DBI, thank you again uh, for your work. Uh, and they'll be sent to evaluate structures up there and hopefully uh, uh, get the right tags, but also the right approach to immediately help them on recovering in these buildings so they can get the economy up and running. Uh, those are just an example of some concrete mutual requests that are coming through. Uh, there'll be more as uh, weeks goes on and uh, we'll again be sensitive to that and please everyone when you do to get these requests, uh, if you can filter them through DEM, we'll coordinate that because we still have state and federal agencies we must report to 
uh, and the federal request out for disaster relief is still very alive and well, and certainly the governor would like us to have a coordinated approach to that. Uh, but again, I want to just say a big thank you. We're going to go into some level of detail uh, about the work that we're doing here, but also the work that we're continuing to do for the region uh, to prepare. I will next week attend uh, a group of scientists gathering on uh, potentially considering our role in advocating more and more vigorously for the funding of our early warning systems uh, for the state of California. I do believe that that will help us. Seconds help. And I think you realize that when we're uh, in these big things and more and more as we do this, uh, the science will become more improved and we hope that that will be a proper investment for the state. I want to say thank you again to Board President David Chu and the supervisors that are here. Uh, we've all been exchanging good information with uh, our counterparts to make sure that we're supportive in any way. And more and more, I think, Supervisor, you and I realize that we're a regional city and everybody is going to ask for our help and we want that uh, as best coordinated as possible. But I want to just take this opportunity to say thank you to the District Council. Uh, if you've ever had any doubt as to the reasons why we ask everybody to do everything that they can. Uh, I think every coverage that is uh, being made aware of now, I think suggests the real life examples of why we do what we do. And so right down to the very neighbors uh, of the neighborhood empowerment networks that we're forming uh, and the three uh, neighborhoods, I think there's going to be uh, probably uh, very more numbers of neighborhoods that are asking for the uh, empowerment approach uh, that we're doing because it gets everybody ready, gets them trained. Uh, it schools people into CPR that the fire department is doing with the NERT program even more. All these things are, are very, very important. It gets businesses uh, really into recovery before the event happens. <clears throat> That's really what I think our city has been uh, uh, important in doing when we decided that we would hire a chief resiliency officer to lead the effort in conversations. We want to recover before an event happens. That's the kind of miracle around resiliency. It's not about waiting to be uh, responding to an event. It's about recovering before the event happens. And this will continue to be the learning curve for many other cities and counties across the country. Uh, but we lead that way. and. I'm so thankful to the Rockefeller Foundation for funding this for one of the first cities in the country to do this. Uh, we're going to help uh, both Vallejo and Napa get their resiliency chief officers up and running as well. We've already got uh, uh, plated uh, an application to the Rockefeller Foundation to help them get that uh, recovered right way so they can learn uh, what we're doing as well. So uh, that's what I wanted to say to all everybody, and thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to talk a little bit about um, our responsibility, DEM's responsibility, and what we did post-earthquake on Sunday at 3.20 a.m. Um, DEM's responsibility, whether for the earthquake or a planned event, is to coordinate city efforts, develop a common operating picture, and be the conduit to Cal, EMS, Cal OES and FEMA. So we all know the earthquake happened at 3.20 in the morning. Um, our 911 bridge upstairs contacted our duty officer at 3.22 in the morning. We immediately um, sent out a CCSF alert 
In addition to that, my staff, the duty officer, um, uh, contacted the emergency point of contacts in the major city departments to assess damages in any of those departments. Specifically, we contacted 311, fire, police, sheriff, public works, PUC, port, MTA, public health, building inspection, controller, rec park, uh, DT, general services agency, and the airport. We also contacted PG&E, and there were no reports of damage in San Francisco. Then we began um, posting, tweeting, and posting on Facebook about the earthquake. For the remainder of the morning, we were on um, calls to Cal OES to assess the damage statewide. We provided input to the mayor's office for a press release and statements that you put out, Mr. Mayor. We continued to send out CCSF alerts to our departments and continued to do social media. So I think it's, it's interesting to note that um, we have 400 new followers on our SF underscore emergency Twitter feed. That happened on Sunday. We also have 400 new followers on SF72.org Twitter feed and more than 100 new followers on Facebook. In addition to that, we established a virtual joint information center to make sure that we were all in the city messaging the same way um, with, with um, our counterparts in other departments. We coordinated this information with 311. Speaking of 311, I think it's really important to note that our total volume of emergency calls to 911 tripled after the earthquake tripled from the normal period of time on a Sunday morning at 3.20 the week before. Um, Non-emergency calls doubled in that time frame. So our message to the public is please do not call 911 following an earthquake unless you have a life-threatening emergency. Calling when you do not have an emergency ties us up on the phone lines and makes it harder for us to respond to the first responders and the people who are really in need in the community. You know, please instead dial 311 unless it's life-threatening, then obviously call 911. Uh, in recent days, we did go with the mayor up to Napa to do an assessment of the damage. Um, we've continued to provide Napa and Vallejo with the resources they need, both personnel and also information to help them in their initial recovery efforts. Uh, we've sent preparedness messaging to more than 110,000 people via social media. Um, the mayor issued two days ago guidance to city departments and the public and the private sector about preparing for an earthquake in the future. And we have been coordinating the mutual aid re request that the mayor um, mentioned earlier. So if any of you in a department or agency get a mutual aid request because you know someone who needs something, please filter them back through us. We want to keep the um, central list of those people and resources that we are providing. This is for cost recovery efforts and also to just make sure that we know what we as a city are doing to be supportive in this time of need for our neighbors to the north. So next steps for city departments. Um, for your employees and the public, please sign up for Alert SF. You'll receive timely updates via email and text message during an emergency. I think you'll find this invaluable. Make a family plan and gather emergency supplies. If you don't know how to do that, look at sf72.org. It's worth 
checking out that website. I think it's got everything you need to know about how you can be prepared because we need our departments and our citizens, residents of San Francisco and the surrounding counties to be prepared for that first 72 hours. We're all going to be taxed in what we're doing here in terms of response efforts. Um, review your department's emergency plans and make sure you have updated contact information for all your employees. That's it for my report. Um, I want to thank my staff in particular and all of the people that we've been working with throughout the city for the great job that they've done in the last three days, four days since the earthquake. I think this is the first time um, since I've been in this job that I've really seen the system that we put together for both alerting and for providing resources work the way it's supposed to. Um, very smoothly, I think we learned a lot because of the rim fire. Uh, we got much better at what we do and those every time there is some kind of disaster, the lessons learned help us get better for the future. Um, I am now going to ask Rob Dudgeon, who's Deputy Director of DEM, here to give us an update just on actually what the status of the earthquake itself. Thanks, Ann. Um, just a couple of basics on the South Napa earthquake, just for those who may not be entirely familiar. It obviously was a magnitude 6.0, and it was actually registered about a 7 on the modified Mercalli scale, which measures shaking intensity. To put that in context, that's very similar to what we experienced in Loma Prieta here in the, the immediate Bay Area of, of Oakland and San Francisco 25 years ago. So that gives you an idea of just how uh, violent the shaking was at the epicenter and in the surrounding area. Uh, as of this morning, there's been almost 100 aftershocks, which is entirely expected and normal. We can expect to see more of that as we go out through the next 7 to 10 days. And there remains, uh, USGS puts out about 11% chance that you'll have an aftershock greater than 5.0. Um, this is a real thing. If you look back historically, you look at what happened in Christchurch, the, the, the actual earthquake that destroyed the city was an aftershock to a previous earthquake that ex actually exceeded the magnitude of the initial shake. So these are all things that we have to be very concerned about. Um, obviously on Sunday, everybody in the area activated. The state activated their operations center. They also activated their regional emergency operations center. Uh, both the city of Napa and the county of Napa, as well as the city of Solano and the, uh, the county of Solano and the city of Vallejo activated their centers as well. As Ann indicated, we did not activate the city of San Francisco's EOC because, quite honestly, we were already together virtually. And since there was no damage in the city, we didn't feel that we needed to raise to that level. We did, uh, we did coordinate virtually with a lot of different people that morning. Um, disaster proclamations as of the 24th, uh, there's been a gubernatorial declaration. Napa County, Solano County, and the cities of Vallejo and Napa have all declared, which is to be expected. Again, we didn't declare because we didn't have any damage. We have no reason to do so at this point. Uh, there was a shelter set up at Napa's Crosswalk Community Church by the Red Cross, and yesterday it had 23 people in it. Um, obviously, there were cell phone communications disruptions. These things happen every time the ground moves. Uh, the providers did deploy portable assets, so uh, cells on wheels and cells on light trucks, cows and colts for those that are in, the, in the, that telecom nomenclature. Um, we have used them before for big events. I would anticipate that we use them again. 
the nice thing about being in the barrier is that there's a, a depth of recovery equipment for telecom that's located in the area, so they tend to respond very fast. Uh, there is a boil water notice still in Napa, um, and water stations, they set up two of them in Napa. Uh, as of this morning, there's uh, 31 schools that are open, save one. So all their schools are basically back online, which is huge. That, that speaks a lot to the work they've done to retrofit. Because as all of us know, most of the schools are, are old, so it's been, a big end, uh, it's been a big effort over the last few decades to bring them up to speed. <laughs> Um, in da in uh, damage perspective, the city of Napa has 103 red-tagged and 500 yellow-tagged homes and businesses. Um, dozens of mobile homes were damaged and five were completely destroyed. In the city of Vallejo, 13 red-tagged and 32 yellow-tagged homes and businesses. One thing that we don't think about very often, which has a huge impact on the recovery efforts and also the, the character and the culture of a community, is historic buildings. Uh, in Napa, the Uptown Theater, the Napa Valley Opera House, and the Napa County Courthouse have all been damaged. Those are much harder to recover, and it's quite the thing to navigate through what exactly do you do with that. That's something we need to think about here as we continue to plan ahead for our recovery. Uh, state and federal assistance, uh, one of the things that we have learned through previous emergencies and disasters is, you know, how do we best interact with our state and federal partners? And we've, you know, decided on a system as a region and at the state level where they actually forward deploy people to the affected area to serve as liaisons in the EOCs, they did that. We've tested that here repeatedly. We find that it works very well. That seems to be the, the best method. So they actually deployed all the forward, they forward deployed all the emergency services coordinator that work here in the region to the affected areas and then they bring in support teams from the state level to actually work in the regional operations center. Um, FEMA deployed the West Coast uh, Incident Management Assistance Team to the State Operations Center to provide immediate federal assistance. Um, with that, I would just say that uh, we continue to, to monitor the situation, and as mutual aid requests come in, we'll be happy to coordinate them and deploy those assets. Ann? Thank you, Rob. One of our biggest partners in any emergency ever always is the American Red Cross. And is, is Isabel Flores here? Oh, great. Thank you, Isabel. Um, I think you have a little um, report on what you have done so far. Yes, good afternoon. Thank you for having us, Gina Galoff, our regional CEO, and myself. I was asked to give a brief overview of what we've done so far. So we started by opening two evacuation centers, one in Napa and one in Vallejo. Those transitioned into overnight shelters to provide a safe place to sleep, food, showers, a place to gather information, and receive emotional support. We've been uh, working on disaster assessment and staffing a fixed bulk distribution site. We've also got three roving ICT, what we call integrated care teams, um, combing the affected communities. So these teams consist of client caseworkers, mental health, health services, bulk distribution, and they've been working very closely with state FAST teams um, in order to go and make sure that as many people as possible are being reached because not everybody always comes forward to the shelters, but there are still a lot of people who need services. And we're going out and providing water, cleanup items, including gloves, trash bags, shovels, whatever they need, as well as snacks. Um, we have, sorry, these numbers came out an hour ago. So, so far we've served 2,470 meals and snacks. We've distributed 1,606 bulk items, which include water, cleanup, gloves, shovels, trash bags, 
provided outreach, mental health, and health services contacts to 545 individuals, provided 90 overnight stays in shelters um, since Sunday, and we've got 200 uh, members of the Red Cross workforce assisting the relief efforts so far. So the way we set up an operation is standard across the country, and all of our um, services are equal uh, for all, any and all who've been affected by a disaster. And something that I'd actually like to um, emphasize, because I think it's really important, that while this has happened at, here in San Francisco, there are still local disasters happening every day, and we still need to provide services to those affected. On Tuesday morning, there was a gas station fire, which displaced 23 people from their homes down by Balboa Park. And last night, there was another six individuals affected by a fire in the same neighborhood. So we're actually standing up a client assistance center for those almost 30 people this afternoon. And while Red Cross is leading that effort to open it, we don't do this alone. We work with our partners in the community. Human Services Agency will be there, Salvation Army, Sioux Chi, Food Bank, SF Card, Christian Counseling. It's a team effort. And it's, I think that is something that we have going for us here, that we already have these relationships established and the foundations for the everyday incidents that take place every week give us the opportunity to better work together and build our preparedness for when the big ones happen. And no single person or agency has you know, superhuman powers or all the resources, but together as a community, I think we can be better prepared for when something does happen. Thank you. Thank you, Isabel. The mayor mentioned um, the early um, earthquake warning systems and Dr. Richard Allen, who I believe has spoken to us here at the Disaster Council before from UC Berkeley, is going to give us an update. Uh, we have partnered with the Seismological Lab for a number of years now. Hello, Dr. Allen. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Anne. Uh, just what is earthquake early warning? Earthquake early warning is about very rapidly detecting the beginnings of an earthquake and then assessing the amount of shaking that is going to follow and pushing that warning out uh, to people in harm's way. So the idea is that the earthquake has already started but you're not feeling the shaking yet and you get an alert seconds, tens of seconds, best case scenario is about a minute uh, in advance. We've been testing a demonstration earthquake early warning system statewide called Shake Alert. Um, the system has been running end-to-end -end since 2012, and we've been partnered with the city, uh, with Anne and others, for I think pretty much that for the entire duration of the project at this point. So how did the system do um, in the Napa earthquake? I'm going to show you a quick video of the alert that was received here in San Francisco. Could we get that video? Earthquake, earthquake, light, shaking, expected in two seconds. So as you can see, it's a very short warning, about eight seconds of warning here in San Francisco between when the alert was pushed out um, and when the shaking actually occurred. It's telling you how much shaking here, light shaking. So in seismological classification, the shaking here is what we classify as light. Of course, it was stronger in Napa, but that's why it says light shaking. It's the amount of shaking here. So this was a success for us. Um, we, we detected the event. Earthquake. It's Earthquake. not another light. event. <laughs> the system is running here at the DM, so I'm always a little concerned. I think we can stop the video. Thank you. Um, uh, 
lost my train of thought. <laughs> so this was a success for us. We did, de obviously, we detected the earthquake. We were able to push out and alert. There was five seconds of warning at Berkeley. There was seven seconds of warning um, here in the Bay Area. Also, importantly, I think, as, you, as many of you may know, we are trying to get the necessary funding to roll this out as a public system. The cost is $120 million for a West Coast-wide system, $80 million for the California piece. Some of the, one of the things we want to do with that is to improve the hardware. And in fact, if those improvements were in place, the warning would have been pushed out two and a half seconds mm -hmm. earlier. So not only was this a success that we did get an alert out, it clearly demonstrates the need for that investment to make the system better before it becomes a full-blown uh, public system. Um, who is getting the alerts um, right now? BART um, gets the alerts, and in fact, they are all set up to automatically slow and stop their trains. They got the alert. Their computer systems did all of the processing it was supposed to do. Of course, there were no BART trains running at the time, so they did not stop any trains, but if there had been, they would have stopped the trains. Uh, the UC Police Department gets the alerts. They received the alerts, and they issue a code red to all of their personnel on duty, and they did that. And as I already mentioned, the DEM here and multiple agencies agencies here in San Francisco uh, get the alert. The, the groups, uh, the various groups have been working with Jen Strauss, actually, who are, do you want to stand up just quickly, Jen? Jen Strauss is our external relations person. She's the person who's been working with all of the groups here in San Francisco with the alert, but the 311, 911, Public Works, MTA, and various other groups um, are already receiving the alerts, and I assume received them um, early on Sunday morning. What is next? We would really like to turn this into a public earthquake early warning system rather than it being a demonstration system that it is today. And so we are working very hard to get the necessary political support um, to, to do that. I already told you what it would cost. Um, there is a great deal of interest, needless to say, in this at this point. When we look to earthquake early warning being rolled out in other countries, Japan installed there or built their early warning system after 10,000 people kill, were killed. Japan, after 6,000 people were killed. China is now building a system after 80,000 people were killed in the Sichuan earthquake. I hope that we don't repeat this mistake. We are very hopeful that this is the final kind of proof that is needed to show the value of earthquake early warning and we can get that, um, that necessary investment. Thank you very much. Oh, I'm sorry, one other thing. Uh, we are, as it happens, this has been planned for a long time, having an international conference on earthquake early warning at UC Berkeley next week. Um, it's focused on how we get the necessary funding to build the public system, the science behind it, and also users. People are welcome to attend, and I'm very pleased, in fact, that the mayor is going to be joining us in that discussion uh, next week. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Allen. Um, Alicia Johnson of my staff uh, is going to give us a brief update on SF-72 and Alert SF. Thank you, Anne. Uh, SF-72 is designed to build a movement around progressive preparedness to create a platform, both digital and physical. You see the digital behind me and the physical in front of you today. Uh, it focuses purely on social connection for a more resilient city. SF-72 aims to be inclusive accessible, clear, and human. It is designed to be co-owned with the residents of San Francisco. We want San, Francisco, San Franciscans to talk about preparedness, take simple steps to prepare, and to take care of each other in the first 70, 72 hours after an emergency. This is where we need your help, and that's why I'm here today. Please connect with us. Those of you who received uh, collateral will find my business card in the front pocket. 
uh, please reach out to us. We're happy to come and talk to you about this. We're happy to give you more information um, and, and set you out on the right foot. Also help connect you with other resources both within the city and with our partners here today. Please share the website and the collateral you've received with your employees, your friends, and your family. That helps us create a more resilient San Francisco. We believe that all disasters are local and that preparedness should be too. For that reason, we've created an open source version of SF72 called City72. City72 is available to any community interested in positive preparedness, and this model is recent, was recently honored by the White House uh, for its innovative approach to integrating open source technologies into disaster preparedness. Since the Napa earthquake, we've seen a dramatic increase in interest and action about preparedness. Our, uh, I was recently told today that our number of public requests has increased significantly. A few statistics, Anne mentioned them a bit earlier, but our reach um, and increasing engagement on Facebook has extended over 4,000% in the last week, and our increase of reach over 5,000%. On Twitter, as Anne mentioned, we've increased our followers by 400, um, which actually doubles our follower count, so that's pretty impressive. Um, we've also seen a surge of interest in Alert SF, uh, the notification alert and notification program Anne mentioned previously, and we encourage you to register for that as well. Thank you. Great, Alicia, thank you very much. Um, now we're going to hear from City Administrator Naomi Kelly about an update on the Lifelines Council. Good afternoon, everyone. So in April, we had the, uh, at our last Lifelines Council in April, we unveiled the interdependency study, and many of you in this room today participated in that interdependency study. It was, we contacted 11 uh, utilities, both public and private, PUC, DPW, MTA, PG&E, and AT&T, and we asked them to go through a, what would your restoration and recovery scenario look like after a, a 1906 earthquake? And after a year, we, we, that study was presented to the Lifelines Council and came up with many recommendations for the city to do to be, so that we could be resilient and be prepared in, in the next, when the next big earthquake hits. Um, as a result, I asked after, of that interdependency study, I asked the co-chair, Chris Poland, to come up with a five-year action plan for our Lifelines Council. And this year, we've kicked off five working groups that will be looking at um, staging sites. And this is a group that will be led by Micah Hilt, who's part of the Earthquake Safety Implementation Program. And basically, we have gathered data. In the previous year, we had a priority access route that was led by DPW and a telecom, a telecommunication and cell site working group. And we're taking all the data from those working groups, and we're trying to figure out from that data, we want to develop a mapping tool and methodology of where we should put staging. One of the lessons learned from PG&E that they have recommended is when we come up with staging sites, we want to be at a site that's closest to their power stations and not a site that's further away, and so that we are coordinating together. Um, we have another group that's looking at post-disaster fuel supply that's being led by Nick Majeski and uh, GSA, and we're just basically looking at who gets priority to fuel after a recovery and coming up with a plan. 
Uh, we have another uh, working group that's looking at Market Street and the financial district co-location studies. So as you can imagine, along the Embarcadero and along Market Street, we have many utilities underground that are co-located and how they impact each other and what are we doing. And, and this what, what is great about the Lifelines Council is for the first time we have both public utilities and private utilities sharing information with each other and particularly what are our most vulnerable assets and how fast can we get them to be recovered and, re and how can we recover together. Um, we have another group that's, and this is a result from what the mayor mentioned earlier, uh, kind of expanding our Lifelines Council. And as we uh, were honored to get the Rockefeller Foundation and 100 Resilient Cities grant and now have our Chief Resiliency Officer in Patrick Odellini, we are talking about taking our Lifelines Council model to a regional model so that all of our utilities are talking to each other at a regional level because we are interdependent amongst each other. Our employees not all live in San Francisco, but they live in these different regions and how we um, can work together um, and share information and practices there. And then last, we are looking at a sea, the seawall, uh, the sea, the seawall and how we'll survive post a, a seismic event. Um, and our seawall is 100, over 100 years old. And that our seawall uh, working group is being led by Steve Reel at the port. So thank you. Thank you, Naomi. Uh, Mickey Callahan, the director of our Department of Human Resources, is going to give us a brief update on disaster service workers. Uh, good afternoon, Mr. Mayor. Um, this is, uh, I guess, the silver lining of a regional earthquake is that it reminds us how important it is for us to be prepared. Uh, who has their disaster service worker card with them, city employees? Okay, we now use the number as our employee ID, but uh, it on the back of your card it includes a little bit of information on our obligations to serve as disaster service workers. This means that uh, public employees, not just those in San Francisco, but throughout the state, uh, will be called upon to... Uh, serve in the event of an emergency, perhaps in a different duty than you normally would be serving in, perhaps um, in a different location, time, etc. Um, however, we would not put anyone in harm's way or ask them to do something for which they're unprepared. Me, I'll be making sandwiches or shoveling sand into sandbags, probably. So um, this is an opportunity for us to remind people. So there are, um, we are going to have a test of our emergency employee notification system today, in fact, uh, as suggested by the mayor. Uh, this system, you may remember, some people think of it as robocalls because we don't have individuals calling each of the 37,000 employees who will be notified. But we do have uh, the system reaches out in sequential order to the contacts that are in our PeopleSoft system, which is a live feed into the into the notifications. Not live; it's uh, once weekly. We download the information. Anybody you fired this week or who quit may still get notified, but if they left a while ago, they probably will not. Um, so we, uh, sorry. Uh, so they'll have, uh, what will happen is, depending on the information in the system, of course, it relies on good information, it'll contact a work phone number, an employee email address, a cell phone number. I had to test it on myself before I came out. The first, the second one, the first time it gets a response, because it asks for a response, you're going to be asked to, in this case, we're asking whether you've completed your disaster service worker training. And uh, it also, the email version also gives you links, so if you haven't, you can go do it. And also sign up for Alert SF and go to sf72.org. So this is an opportunity for us to remind people of their obligations and to train them and also to test our system, see how good we are at getting back. In the event of a, 
of a real emergency, I will say, that we would be giving instructions to people. Press one if you can report to work within half an hour. Press two if you can report to work within two hours. You know, press three if you're okay, if you and your family are okay. So this is, it's a good way for us to get information back uh, pretty rapidly. So we're very excited about that. And as I said, that'll be tested today. Uh, the disaster service worker program, I want to remind people, uh, started I think under Phil Ginsburg when he was the HR director, um, is an obligation of all city employees. You will note that it is still in the template for all of our performance plans. Everyone is supposed to be trained in their disaster service worker obligations. We used to do it as part of the in-person em new employee orientation. Some departments may still do that, but it's also online in our new, we have online new employee orientation that many, most city employees I think are now taking and you can go through the employee handbook, et cetera, and then you get to watch the 20 minute or so video about your disaster service worker obligations. So again, this is a city standard. We do expect people to take this training. It's a good opportunity uh, to remind people to do it, and I ask you to join us in encouraging people to do that. I also want to thank our partners at DEM for their help and collaboration in getting our test of the emergency notification system running this week. Thank Great. you. Thank you very much, Mickey. Since we have a captive audience today, we thought we would just touch briefly on um, another emergent, emerging issue. Um, the Ebola response, and Rob um, is going to introduce Tomas Aragon, who is the health officer for the Department of Public Health. Thank you, Ann. Uh, in the package uh, or in the materials, you'll notice that there's a document about the Ebola response. This is a, an example of a product that we've asked our team here at DEM to start putting together on more global issues that may or may not have a, an immediate direct impact to San Francisco, but at some point might. And since this has been in the press and it's, it's received a lot of attention, uh, we felt it you know, important to actually get the facts and put them together in some non-clinical language and so that everybody can really see what's happening and be familiar with it. And we've, we've developed this product to be able to share that. Um, obviously, DPH will be the lead should this occur in San Francisco. We've worked closely with them. And then I will just leave uh, Dr. Aragon to discuss the actual clinical parts of Ebola. Good afternoon. Thank you. Um, in 2003, if you remember back when we had SARS, okay, and one of the challenges that we have as a global community is as a, as, as a, in the world, we're becoming increasingly complex. We're gonna to continue to have these types of events. It's very easy now that because we're very interconnected as a globe, that somebody in a different part of the world can come to the United States and bring an infectious disease. The reason why I mentioned SARS is that I'm gonna, I mentioned SARS because I'm gonna to explain to you a little bit why Ebola is different and why for us in the United States, the risk is a lot lower. When, when we had SARS in 2003, SARS was spread like the common cold, okay? The, the overall mortality rate was about 11%. The mortality rate in people over 50 was about 50%. But it was spread like the common cold, no vaccine, no treatment. We were scared to death back then, okay, in 2003. SARS happened in four months. Fortunately, because of core public health practices, we were able to contain it. Ebola is a different, is a different agent. In some ways, it's, it's, it is scarier. The mortality rate is 
Fortunately for, fortunately for us, it's spread only by blood or body fluids. It's not spread like the common cold, okay? So you really have to have close contact with somebody who has Ebola. So we don't expect it to spread around the world the way SARS did. That's the first thing. The second thing is, is that somebody does not become infectious until they become very, very sick. So the only people who are becoming infected are household close contacts or healthcare workers. And so our emphasis here is really preparing the healthcare community if somebody flies back during the incubation period and ends up having symptoms of Ebola in, in San Francisco. The third thing to realize is, I already mentioned, that is because the mortality rate is so high, it's one of these ironies of infectious diseases, is that when the mortality rate is very high, people who are very sick or people who have passed away are not transmitting the disease. It's not like a respiratory tract infection where somebody can have mild symptoms and they can be transmitting to other, to other people. That's one of the reasons why pandemic influenza scares us and transmits rapidly around the world because you have a lot of people with mild illness who are, who are spreading it. So for all those reasons, for all those reasons, it's really important to, for us to realize is that we're not going to have an outbreak of Ebola in San Francisco or the United States or really in most parts of the world. The biggest concern right now is in West Africa and the four nations that are, that are contained that are where the, the uh, epidemic is occurring. There have been over 3,000 cases and over 1,500 deaths. And I understand from some estimates, they're anticipating that maybe up to 20,000 people may actually die before the, before the, before the epidemic is over. So it's, for that part of the world, it is a, it's a huge tragedy. It's a big impact because of their, because of their healthcare infrastructure was very poor to begin with. Um, our message that we're getting out to everybody is, is to uh, be calm, we're prepared, and that we're engaged with the healthcare, com we're engaged with the healthcare community. We don't anticipate any problems. We do have some healthcare workers from the United States, including from the Bay Area, who are tra who have tra traveling to Africa to provide medical care. When they come back, we'll work with them closely to make sure we monitor them, make sure they don't develop any symptoms. Um, that pretty much covers everything. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Aragon. That's very reassuring. Uh, Francis Zamora, who's our public information officer here at Emergency Management, is going to give you a real brief overview of two upcoming um, events that will be celebrations in San Francisco. Thank you, Anne. Good afternoon. I'm uh, just going to be really brief. We have a couple of uh, events coming up in, uh, in the fall. The first one being the 25th anniversary of the Loma Prieta earthquake. Uh, the city and county of San Francisco, along with the American uh, Red Cross Bay Area chapter, have joined forces to plan a series of events to commemorate the 25th anniversary of the Loma Prieta earthquake. The first one being uh, on Thursday morning, October 16th, the Great California Shakeout at Marina Middle School. And we are, this is the statewide earthquake drill in partnership with our friends at the school district. So um, 1016, remember to drop, cover, and hold on. Uh, Thursday evening, Nightlife at the Cal Academy of Sciences. This is going to be a, a movie re-premiere of the earthquake film that they have uh, at the Cal Academy in, the, in their planetarium. So join us Thursday night at Cal Academy. Have some fun. Check out the earthquake exhibit over there and check out the earthquake film. And then Friday night, or actually all day Friday, actually, on the 17th, the 25th anniversary commemoration, there will be a speaking program along with an interactive along with interactive preparedness demonstrations 
This will take place from 12 to 7. Admission will be free at the Exploratorium from 4 to 7 p.m. Um, starting next week, you can go to www.lp25.org for more information. So go to that website next week, and you'll find out more information. Um, and then finally, uh, in the next couple weeks, uh, we're going to be announcing a series of events. Fleet Week is back in San Francisco. And um, so in the next couple of weeks, we'll uh, talk about some events that are taking place. But the, the thing, thing to remember is that in addition to a lot of the fun events that take place during Fleet Week, there's actually a lot of great uh, training that takes place that helps local authorities work with military members to make sure that we're prepared for any emergency. So thank you. Great. Thank you, Francis. Um, are there comments from the Disaster Council members? We'll do a roundtable. I know that Heidi Anderson from the um, school district would like to make one. Heidi? Hi, everybody. I'm Heidi Anderson. I'm the public relations manager for the school district. And during the school day, we are in charge of upwards of 56,000 children. So if an earthquake happens during the day, we have a lot of work to do, and we're, we know that. Um, when the earthquake happened on Sunday, our superintendent called all the um, executive team and said, we're having a drill this week. Everybody looked at their calendars. Oh, no, that's not good. I have a meeting. And, like, and he said, no, earthquakes don't look at your Outlook calendar. So we're having one tomorrow, whether we feel ready or not. We're going to learn a lot, and we're going to do a hot wash after review and all that kind of good stuff. And so we're going to get ourselves in shape. Thank you, Heidi. I think our fire chief, Joanne Hayes-White, has an announcement. Thank you, Anne. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, thank you to the DEM in particular. Uh, in light of recent events, always keeping the departments very well coordinated, very much appreciated. And uh, it was an early morning for all of us, but we were very well informed and coordinated. Also to uh, allude to a directive that Mayor Lee had sent out, a reminder to all of us as employees. I know Mickey Callahan talked about disaster service workers. Um, We'll, we will all be very involved uh, in a large-scale emergency. So I took the time this week when we brought 40 new employees into the department, as well as to my senior staff, to remind them of the importance that since we will be busy at work, it's a great reminder to make sure we have things in order at home. Um, I know on Sunday what I did with my three boys was take a look at what we have in our disaster kit. Some of the food that we have was about to expire, so instead of discarding it, uh, since it was still good for another week or month, uh, we made a meal out of it. And uh, that's something that I would encourage you to do. Take a look at what's in your kit. Some of the items may be, uh, you know, out of circulation, so then you should discard it. But definitely take a look. It's a great reminder. Usually we do it in April and October, but we did it on Sunday after, uh, after the earthquake that we all felt. Um, the other thing that I wanted to remind you of, it's a free program. We have our NERT coordinator here is the San Francisco's Fire Department Neighborhood Emergency Response Team program. It's six, uh, six sessions broken into uh, three different days, uh, typically. Uh, we have two that are coming up in September. One is at the Civic Center, uh, in the Civic Center area, um, San Francisco Federal Building, 97th Street. And then there's one uh, North Panhandle, Lone Mountain USF campus, Cal Hall. These are, one of them is uh, three sessions on the three consecutive Saturdays beginning September 13th. And the other one, the Civic Center one, is in on a Tuesday from 8.30 to 5. Again, I would uh, encourage not just city employees, but the public in general to avail themselves of this free training. Thank you. Thank you, Chief. Are there other announcements from council members? 
Yes, President Chu. First of all, a, a comment and also just a question. Uh, first, I want to just thank everyone uh, and echo what the mayor said. Uh, as far as all the work I know we have done to be prepared. Um, what occurred to me after uh, the earthquake happened was we've all spent an incredible amount of work preparing. And I think many of us wonder if that work is worth it. And obviously, uh, we now know it is. Uh, I want to thank everyone who worked to pass the earthquake safety uh, emergency response bonds in 2010 and 2014. I think there was an incredible amount of work that I remember speaking to then City Administrator Ed Lee and our police and fire chiefs, but it's amazing that we got that done. Uh, and also all the angst I think we felt about moving from a voluntary to a mandatory seismic retrofit regime, we all know that is now worth it. Um, the, the question I had in a lot of conversations I've had with constituents, uh, I've noticed that there are a number of uh, populations and communities that I think there are probably a couple of additional things that seniors may want to think about, uh, that small business owners may want to think about, that monolingual immigrant populations may want to think about. And I know a lot of your materials are as broad and as general as possible, which makes sense, but are there specific efforts to educate those particular niches, and, and I've been asked a lot of questions over the last week of, of what different communities can do in that area, and I'd love to just be informed on that. Sure, we'd, we'd be happy to, uh, to work with you, and just uh, to let everybody know, we do have different components within our community engagement team, so we actually have people that work with nonprofits that reach out to a lot of these individual communities, and then we also have uh, somebody who actually works specifically with the, uh, the uh, private sector, and the focus of, of that individual is the small business community in particular. So we're happy to work with your office. If you want to point us in a direction that you've had these conversations, we're more than happy to engage. I think the, uh, the one great thing that happened about all of this is that all of us, like uh, the chief, we're all figuring out what we don't know and uh, addressing that. I'll tell you, uh, when my wife and I woke up, we couldn't figure out whether we should run out of the building or get under a doorway or get under a table and, and literally those few seconds uh, we realized that particular moment and my guess is there are probably a thousand thoughts all of us had in our heads as to what we were not prepared to do. Do not get in a doorway. That's an old myth. Don't do that. <laughs> Drop cover and hold or get under a strong table. Um, are, is there any other disaster council comments? Mr. Mayor, do you have any final comments? Um, no, but again, uh, thanks and keep alert, everyone, and keep yourselves, as I think the chief said, uh, get yourself in a comfortable mode because it could still happen. It could be right around the corner or it could be next year. Thank you. Thank you. I guess I should have asked if there was any public comment. I'm sorry. Seeing none, this meeting is adjourned. Thank you all for coming. <laughs>